0: Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point. I'm glad to see all of you here this morning. Uh, we're in a late summer series entitled For Such a Time as This. We're on the third message this morning. I'm excited about what God has been doing through these messages. This set of messages was intended to be a prequel to this fall, which is uh, the time we'll get into the remnant series, as Pastor Dave was saying. And, and really in the remnant series, we're going to talk about how do we function as the community of Christ when we're being marginalized, pushed to the margins of culture, and people are beginning to view us as being irrelevant. It's not a time to be full of despair. It's just a different time. And I think God's up to some neat things in preparing us uh, for such a time as we find ourselves in. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we began this series uh, for such a time as this by looking at what it means to have a focused faith. It's an interesting uh, 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 Kind of topic, focused faith. Um, the scripture I use is when, when Jesus fed the 5,000 and then he's doing all these miracles, he water walks, and uh, Peter waterwalks. And if you're here for that message, you, you know what I'm talking about. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a tendency um, to try to make Jesus into someone we want him to be rather than who he really is. Okay, and so Jesus has all this stuff going on. He's doing miracles. He's, he's walking on water. He fed 5,000 people. And at that time, people were going to try to forcibly make him king. And as that began to transpire, he says to his disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side of the lake. I'm going to dismiss the people. And then he connects with God, um, and water walks over to his disciples in the boat. And you know what I find fascinating about that whole uh, encounter and that whole story of Christ is this? He was at the apex of power. He had it all. He could have been king. He could have had everything we think will make us successful sometimes as a Christian community if we just had a person in power, if they just had influence, if they just could do good because they have all this position and authority. Christ had it all. He said, nope, I'm not going to do that. That's not what I'm about. And I just take this big lesson away. We despair sometimes we think we're not in the center of culture. We, we despair sometimes because we think if we just had this influence and power in this position, we could do good. But you know what? For the most, most of the life of Christianity, that's not been the case. And God, I think, is telling us it's okay to be in the margins. I move mightily in the margins of culture. And that was kind of that first message. We had to have focused faith in the margins. And then last week, we talked about how to make your way out of civilized Christianity. Wow. I think we got to watch out that we don't think Christianity is about comfort or convenience or consumerism or safety. We easily fall into that trap. We easily think that Christianity is about us, what I want. We unintentionally sell it. Come to our church, we can offer you these things, you know, and we have these programs, we got this excellence and blah, blah, blah. And unintentionally we sell consumerism. We don't even know we're doing it. And oftentimes we say, well, you know, the sanctuary was too hot today. or too cold today. Uh, do those things really matter? Uh, we, our following God can't be about comfort. It can't be about convenience. It can't be about safety. It can't be about consumers. And Jesus wasn't about any of that. If you follow Jesus hard, if you really want Jesus to move in your life, you're not going to be comfortable half the time. He's going to make you uncomfortable. You're going to do things you don't want to do. It's not going to be convenient. Most of the time, following Jesus is not very convenient. It's not about you, usually. And it's not safe at times. But boy, is it good, amen? It's such a good life. Nothing compares to it. It's the best life ever. So, we got to make our way out of civilized Christianity for such a time as this. It can't be about programming. It can't be about comfort, convenience, consumerism, or safety. So that leads us today. We're going to talk about some pitfalls to avoid in such a time as this. And I'm going to use Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20 as our teaching text this morning. So let me read that to you, and then we'll jump into this message. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth is not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them there, blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Wow. Get this with me, please. Just think with me for a moment. So you got Jesus. He feeds 5,000 people. Pretty cool, huh? Amen, right? Are you all awake here at all? I would like to experience that. He's doing miracles like crazy, healing all kinds of people. And they want to forcibly make him king. So he says to his disciples, get in the boat, get out of here. And then he walks in the water. Come on now, that's pretty amazing. And Peter does a little water walking himself. But then he looks at the storm and the wind and he begins to sink, which is a message to you and I there in these times. We better not look at the storm and the wind and the turmoil of our times that we'll sink, amen? We got to keep our eyes on jesus then they get to the side and people just can't help it they're there again and he heals them again wow and then the religious leaders of that time show up and they say your disciples don't wash their hands right come on now is that not incredible or kind of really weird that that's the question that they would pose to christ when he's doing all these things, are you seeing the irony of this? There's this punching match going on. We're kind of into boxing right now, although I don't, I'm not into it, so okay. I do know who won the match now. I asked somebody this morning. But there's this heavyweight boxing match almost going on here, and the Pharisees take the first punch. Your disciples don't wash their hands. And Jesus counters with that blow of his own, you nullify the clear command of God for your traditions. There's a rift going on between the Pharisees and Jesus Christ. We can't understand. There's a, there's a match going on here. And, and I tell you what, if, if you're a Pharisee, you're seeing stars, right, at this point. Jesus is just giving you pretty much a knockout blow. Let me, let me um, summarize this exchange for you, just so we have clarity here. The Pharisees' blow was this. Why do your disciples break the traditions? And the specific illustration then that they use is this. um, Disciples did not wash their hands before eating. This is ceremonial washing, ceremonial cleansing. It's a ritual. They weren't doing the right ritual before eating their food. Jesus counter punches with, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your traditions? We need to hear that. Because if we're going to be relevant people for such a time as this, we better be ruled by the commands of God, not the traditions of men, right? We had better understand this. So he counterpunches with that. And then Jesus' illustration is this. The Pharisees endorsed the practice of dedicating gifts to the temple, but they did so in order to shirk responsibility to their parents. I'll explain what that means in a moment. But this exchange is clarifying. In times such as these, As the people of God, we need to have clarity about what matters to the heart of God, amen? We need to have clarity, and we need a conviction about what really matters to God and what doesn't matter to God. Otherwise, we're going to be confused ourselves, and we're going to confuse a bunch of people around us. Let me give you a little bit of background about how this cleansing of of hands even came into being. In the Old Testament, Israel was exiled, Babylon. And if you read the book like Nehemiah, it's the people of Israel coming out of the exile and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Well, anyway, during this exile to, to Babylon, uh, something began to transpire that had been going on, but now really kind of got amped up because of the exile. The rabbis begin to teach meticulous rules and regulations for observance of the law of Moses. And their goal and their intention with all this meticulous rule and tradition creation was to try to keep the people from warning from God so that they wouldn't be judged like they were being judged in this exile to to Babylon. Maybe had good intentions, but bad execution. You know why? Because rules never change a person's heart. So adding rule on top of rule on top of rule on top of rule, trying to change a person's heart is foolhardy. It just doesn't change a person's heart. Look at our culture right now. We got all kinds of rules. I joke about it all the time. I said, everybody's a lawbreaker. We have so many laws to break. (laughs) You can't help it. We're all lawbreakers. There's all kinds of rules. You know what? If we don't have hearts rendered to God, what is going to manage our culture? We're going to try to manage culture by rules. Good luck with that. It's not going to work. Rules do not change a heart. These rules meant by the rabbis To protect the law of God, begin to obscure the law of God. Begin to be what people observed instead of understanding the law of God. The washing of hands originated from Bible verses like this. Who shall ascend to the holy hill of God? He who has a pure heart and clean hands. Well, you know that's about your inner person, right? Right? Who's going to ascend the Holy Hill of God? Someone who's been clean from the inside out. It's not about hygiene of the hands. But here's what the Jews had gotten to with this whole hand-washing ritual. They actually begin to believe that you would ingest the impurity of others by rubbing on them, and so you need to have your hands purified so you wouldn't ingest the impurities of others. That just isn't true. They even came up with The smallest amount of water that was acceptable for washing of the hands, it's an egg and a half. That's this amount of water. I didn't measure it. I just guessed. I had two eggs for breakfast this morning. I said, this is less than those were. So, you know, I'm just guessing. But you had to wash a certain way. You had to put your fingers in there, and it had to drip like this, and it had to come down on your wrist for you to be ceremonially clean. If you did this, and you put your hands in the water, and you did this, and you did that, oh, shoot, you're not clean anymore. That's how meticulous the rules got. If you're in the first row, sorry if I'm splashing on you, but I'm glad you're in the first row. Thank you so much. I really love you all. I love you first row people more than you back row people. <laughs> so, at any rate, there is room in the front of the church, and I'm going to have to get Virginia Spring to put candy bars up here again and train you like Pavlov dogs to come to the front of the church. Anyway, um... Anyway, I'm sorry, I digress. I'm going to go back. So, so, the, so the Pharisees come on to punch. Why don't your disciples, you know, wash their hands? And basically Jesus was saying, it don't matter. That's a tradition. It doesn't matter. That doesn't clean your heart. And he takes this counterpunch. Why do you nullify the clear command of God for your tradition? You're supposed to honor your mom and dad. You're supposed to care about your mom and dad. And instead, you're letting this tradition get in the way of caring for them. And that's the first pitfall we're going to talk about. And now we're into our pitfall part of this message this morning. We're not to look for loopholes. As a follower of God, we're never to look for loopholes. We're to follow the clear commands of God. So Jesus Jesus counters with this remark, why do you not follow a clear command of God for the tradition of saying these things are devoted uh, to God. Now, what they were talking about here was this tradition of Korban. Of, of and basically what that would, was about was, I could say, Everything I own, all my resources are, are devoted to the temple. They're, they're korban. They're given to the temple. So then when mom and dad would come to me, that, when I die, okay, they all go to, the, it's like an inheritance of the temple. So now when mom and dad would come to me and they would need something, I would say, I'm sorry, mom and dad. I don't have the resources. I've devoted it all to the temple. Look at me. I'm holy. I can't take care of you. And oftentimes they were doing this just to not have to support their mom and dad. And oftentimes, in the meantime, before they died, they would use all the resources themselves. It was, it was a manipulation of something that was really perverse. It was really wrong. And they were violating a clear command of God, take care of your parents. That was loophole thinking. And Jesus calls it out. Why do you Pharisees endorse this loophole thinking? You are violating the clear command of God for the sake of your tradition. What are you doing here? Listen, for times such as this, you and I can never give in to loophole thinking. We can't do that as followers of God. It's not good for our souls. It's not good for the souls around us. We'll look like hypocrites to culture. They'll see right through it. God will see our hearts. He'll know what's up there. We can't give into to loophole thinking. It's never been okay to do that. A story is told of some Quakers. You know, Quakers are, 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 a story is told of a, a Quaker, I should say. Quakers are known to be pacifists. Listen to the story. An old Quaker discovered a burglar in his home late one night. The thief was emptying the contents of the Quaker's safe into a bag. The Quaker tiptoed out, got his shotgun, tiptoed back into the room where the burglar was. Standing a few feet from the burglar, he announced in, in the burglar's presence this. Friend, he said calmly, I would not harm thee for the world, but thou art standing where I'm about to shoot. We are masterful. at That's really a silly story. But we are really masterful at loophole thinking. A wife had made her husband and children a really great dinner. And uh, she was missing an ingredient. So she told her husband and children, stay out of the kitchen. I'm going to go get this ingredient. and Then we'll have this meal together. She comes back uh, half an hour later to find the husband and the children sitting in the living room munching on cookies. She's kind of upset. She goes, What are you doing? He says, I didn't go in the kitchen. And, and she kind of goes, he goes, I found the cookies in the hall closet. That husband's like one of the little kids, by the way, if you're doing that. If you're a husband, don't do that. But what what what, what her intention was, I made this wonderful meal. I gotta get in, I gotta get one ingredient, they will enjoy this food together. Don't eat. That's what her intention was. His loophole thinking said, Well, she didn't tell me not to eat cookies from the hall closet. That's loophole thinking. If we, if we succumb to loophole thinking, then we try to create rules to manage all that thinking. It's impossible. She would have had to say to her husband and children, listen, listen, I don't want you to eat while I'm gone. That means no eating in the kitchen, no eating in the living room, no eating in the bedrooms, no eating in the bathrooms, no eating in the car, no eating inside, no eating outside. Don't go down the block to eat, don't eat, just don't eat while I'm gone. We have to start qualifying, saying everything. That's the kind of language you have with a two-year-old. But yeah, some of you know, I, I just had my little... Grants and Rowan with us for, for the last week. He's a year and a half. You have a lot of that kind of talk. I forgot how exhausting that is. Kelsey, I feel sorry for you. So with, we had these little ones. So you're just like, oh, come on. You know? Um, anyway, we as Christians, we can't be loophole thinkers. Um, we have to become ones who are honest with ourselves, who are just honest with God. And we ask God for a pure heart. Oh, God, give me a pure heart. Give me pure motives. I don't want to try to bypass your ways. I don't want to go around your ways. I want your ways to resonate in my heart and to, to determine how I behave and how I treat others. Jesus, as he continues on in Matthew 15, says, these people, this is tough. I'm going to just say this is tough, okay? He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So here's the second loophole thing to watch out for, or second, excuse me, second pitfall thing to watch out for, is lip service is never enough with God. This is hard. This is a hard, uh, hard thing to really grasp because I think we do this more readily than we maybe want to acknowledge. For times such as these, we can't be people who are just about lip service. That's never been okay as a follower of God. But what God desires is a devoted follower. God's never pleased with the superficial. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, at one point God says to, to the people of Israel, you know what? Don't bring me any more of your vain offerings. I hate your festivals. I hide my eyes from you. Their hearts are far from him. And he's going, "All all this stuff you're doing, all this religiosity you're doing, it doesn't mean anything. Just quit doing it. God's never pleased with the superficial. On the other hand, God says and promises, I inhabit the praise of those who love me. The real issue that Jesus had with the Pharisees was that they were into these meticulous little rules, you know, hand washing, they were into that, but but their hearts were far from God. And that 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 was a real issue that was going on here. I got to look into this, I said, Oh God, you know, I wonder how often I'm this off-putting to you as a person. I know there are times when I'm not even thinking about you, I'm just preoccupied, I'm not thinking about your goodness. I don't really want to worship you. I don't really want to serve you. I'm lazy. I'm just doing my life. I just kind of want to have comfort here, you know, convenience. We're kind of back to last week. And I wonder how often we're off putting that way to God. So every now and then we have to do a heart check. And we have to pray, God, create in us new hearts. Hearts that yearn for you, that delight in you. Hearts that just resonate with you, where your joy, uh, the joy of our salvation is our strength, where our praise rises up to you like incense in your nostrils, where we just are, are just enjoying the sweetness of relationship with you. There's a couple of devotion questions you can ask. These are tough. I would say these are tough. What occupies your mind? What do you think about? That tends to be what you're devoted to. If you hardly ever think about God, you've got to say something there with God. You've got to have some interaction with God because he should be occupying your mind every now and then, amen? And if it's not, don't feel bad and do nothing. Pray that God would begin to move in your heart and create a new heart in you, amen? That just he's occupying your thoughts. What do you look forward to is another devotion question. Do you look forward to this kind of thing? Do you look forward to singing and praising God with, with, with the body of Jesus Christ? I, I love what Kyle does on Sunday mornings. I sit there sometimes. I just listen. It's so good. I'm not saying the band's so good. I'm just saying the praise and worship is so good. God inhabits the praise of his people. Amen. It's just so good. I look forward. It's one of my favorite times of the week, partly because I don't have to do anything but enjoy it. Kyle does all the work with the people in the praise band in terms of getting prepared, but we should come prepared to meet God. We should be looking forward to it. What occupies your mind? What do you look forward to? Now, as the encounter with the disciples close out, or excuse me, as the encounter with the Pharisees close out uh, with Jesus and the Pharisees, let me just back up and say this right. As the encounter between Jesus and the Pharisee closes out, the disciples say, do you know you, you offended them, Jesus? Jesus said, hey, leave them. They're blind guides. They're going to lead blind people into a pit. Basically, Jesus said, don't listen to them. They're not right. This brings us to the third pitfall to avoid here is this. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. There's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of experts out there saying, listen to me, listen to me. And they, there's a lot of people who think they're in the know. But without the wisdom of God, without the wisdom of God, such ones are blind leading the blind into a pit. We have to become kind of convictional on that for times such as this. I'm convinced a lot of instability in the lives of a lot of followers is simply because we try to reconcile the irreconcilable. We try to put the wisdom of this world together with the wisdom of our God. They are irreconcilable. James 3 says there's a wisdom that's of this world and there's a wisdom from heaven above. If you try to mix it two, it's like mixing oil and water. They won't mix. And they'll cause instability in the one who tries to do that kind of thing. What we're supposed to do is ask God for heavenly wisdom. We're supposed to believe that he dispenses it to us. Otherwise, we're like a wave tossed to and fro by the winds of our time. Team says, such a one will not receive of God. And is unstable in all he or she does. Let me ask you a question. Who has your ear? Who are you listening to? Is that voice causing stability in your faith? Or is it causing you to be tossed to and fro? Who has your ear? Who are you listening to? I would like us to read Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 out loud together, just to take kind of a mental break for a moment, but also because it's such good scripture. So would you read this out loud with me, please? Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So in times such as these, we have to have ears to hear God, hear his voice, hear his word. In our reading this morning, Jesus calls the crowd to him and says, listen and understand. What goes into your mouth does not defile you. What comes out of your heart that's inappropriate, whether that be, you know, slander or sexual immorality or whatever, that's what defiles you. But did you hear what he says? Listen and understand. Hear what I'm going to say to you. So I want to talk with with you for a few moments on this particular pitfall. I want to talk with you on how to really avoid this one. We have to listen to and understand God's ways. Okay, we've got to listen to and understand God's ways. And we have to begin by saying, God, give me ears to hear. Just give me ears to hear what you're saying. The other day I was golfing, and I noticed on one tee box, as you left the box, there were Four signs, like, right in a row. I think they're going to pop up behind me. What do those signs say? What what is this thing over here? It's a cart path. Where do you think you're supposed to drive on the cart path? The carts, right? They had to put four signs. That one that you can't see that's facing kind of sideways, it says, no driving. There's like four signs in a matter of like 10 feet. I go, is this what we've been reduced to as a culture? We have to have a blockade of signage to get our attention, to get us to listen to and understand something. Why wouldn't one sign have done the trick? That poor greenskeeper has to put up signage all over the place to keep people from driving when they're not supposed to drive. That's kind of the science of the times that we live in a little bit. When a heart's not running to God... We try to make up for it with rules and regulations. And that just doesn't work because a rule and a tradition never changes a heart. So we have to ask God for ears to hear what he's saying. And he's given us multiple ways to hear from Him. It's almost like he's given us a blockade of signage to get us to hear what he's saying. Let me go through this with you to keep us on the path. First of all, listen to God's word hear it. Hear it. Listen to God's word, but hear it. Be attentive. I drove by those signs first time without even seeing them. It was the second time I was there that I began to be more reflective, and I had a moment of I just kind of looking around. I go, look at all those signs. I didn't even see those before. I was distracted and caught up with something else, we blew right by it. You know what? Oftentimes, we hear God's word, like I read God's word to you today, or you might read God's word throughout the week. I hope you do. And you know, we're preoccupied. We're busy. We blow right through it. And God said, listen to it. Hear it. Don't just read through it. Hear it. What is it saying? Secondly, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in you. Hear him. So listen to the word of God, hear it, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and you hear him. I have found myself at times in conversation with somebody that I'll realize after three or four or five minutes, I haven't heard a word that person has said for a while now. Because I've been wandering around. Do you do that? I just wander around. I realize I'm not paying any attention to what you're saying at all. It's nothing that the person's doing wrong. It's problem-wise within me. I believe that the person of the Holy Spirit's in the follower, speaking, but we're not paying very good attention to him at times. We're busy. We're, we're, not, we're distracted. We, we, we got to begin to tune into his voice and listen. The world is so loud. It just drowns it out. Take a break and say, God, what are you up to here? And begin to actively listen. To the person of the Holy Spirit, I think God delights to talk to his people. And lastly, here's our last signage, keeping us on the path. Listen to what other devoted followers are saying. Hear them. So hear God's word, hear it. Listen to the Holy Spirit within you, hear him. Listen to what other devoters the body is saying, hear them. I am amazed at the wisdom I hear come out of some of your mouths. I am beginning to listen more that way. I, I really ask God, give me a, a heart to hear what other people in the body of Christ are saying at times, even if I don't agree with them. Try to hear what's behind that. Try to hear the heart of it. Try to hear their attitude. And, and, and boy, man, God speaks that way to his people. So this is how you have ears to hear. Let's talk on this second part of this. Listen and understand. You know, if you want to understand God the very first thing you should do is just ask God for understanding. Peter did that. I don't understand this parable. You know, Jesus said, are you still so dull? But he still asked and still got a, a response. Uh, you know, ask God for understanding. Ask God for understanding uh, to, to really grasp what's going on. I think he delights in, in giving us discernment and understanding. This last uh, spring, I believe it was, Vicky and I were on vacation in, in Utah. And we were going across this big reservoir. I think I have it this last thing. I can't remember. It's close enough. Anyway, we're going across, trying to go across this big reservoir, and there's a signage up that we're supposed to stop and wait because this humongously huge pontoon was going across the bridge, and that thing was like three lanes wide. It was huge. The biggest pontoon I've ever seen in my life. I mean, the floats were like, like, they're about six feet in diameter. So an RV driver, I don't know what he was thinking, decided that Either he didn't understand the signage or it didn't apply to him, whatever be the case, decided, I'm going to go across the bridge at the same time as his pontoon. And so we kind of come over the hill and we see the pontoon and the RV stuck in the middle of the bridge. They can't get by each other. It was kind of funny in a sad sort of way. And if I didn't want to get across the bridge, it would have been way more funny. But I thought, why did you do that? Why didn't you just wait? Did you not understand what's going on here, you know? But then we had to watch them back up. It was hilarious in a sad sort of way. We have the wisdom of God. Please, we have the wisdom of God in us because we have the word of God, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the body of Christ. We have the wisdom of God in us. We need to listen to it. We need to ask God to give us understanding and discernment and we need to be following that i mean we, we we sometimes think we're exceptions to the rule we live in really tough times we watch a video like that and we think well this is really tough times but listen listen Tough times have always been around for the people of God. Daniel of old, he was a captive in a foreign land, yet he stood his ground. He understood the times, and he depended on God. Then you you go to someone like Nehemiah. He lived in super tough times. He lived in in a place that was very, very aggressively against him. He went back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He's frequently praying praying to God, Oh God, watch over me. See what I'm doing. Remember what I'm doing. He's constantly praying like that. Then, Then you have you know, Esther, she's married to a foreign guy. She's a queen, but the king is not of her nationality. And she was put into that place for such a time as she found herself in to save the people of Israel from genocide. The people of God have always dwelt in hard times. We can't be people who despair. We have to be people who understand that times are just a little different. We have to depend on God. And we have to cry out to God as God's people. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding. Help me not to go on the bridge when not, not to go on the bridge and cause a blockade, okay? Here's our takeaway if your faith is about man made rules, then these pitfalls will loom large in your life. If your faith is about relationship with God, then devotion to God will loom large in your life because Jesus is a great transformer of the heart. And that's what people need to see transformed. People in a culture for such a time as this, what people need to see are are people like us truly in love with our God, devoted and following Him with all of our heart. Not out of obligation, but out of devotion. Stories told of a young woman who married a harsh man. He was ruthless, he made all kinds of lists for her to do, it was totally inappropriate. This didn't make for a happy marriage. The man eventually passed away and sadly, though justified, the woman was relieved. Later on, the same woman was blessed with another husband. He was a very loving man, devoted to her and lavished her with praise and attention. One day, she found one of the old lists that the first husband had written her. And with sad reflection and realization, she came to the conclusion that I do all these things for my new husband now, that my old husband Kind of mandated from me, but now I do them out of love and devotion. No one's making me do them. I do them because I want to do them. That's what our culture needs to see in you and me. People in love with our God. Because culture right now thinks God's about harshness and rules and judgment and intolerance and all that. It's totally a misconception of who God really is. And what our culture needs, what we need to be for such a time as this, a uh, devoted followers of God, in love with Him more than ever joyously following him, joyously receiving his commands as as, as ways to do life. Why does the world need to see that?